0: Well, this morning, I have the great pleasure of introducing our speaker. He happens to be my brother-in-law. He is luckily blessed to be married to Ben's sister, Becca. And he is basically a marketplace minister. He takes what he knows about business and about the way things work in the financial world, and he goes as a man of God to advise people on how to do business with godly principles. This is Paul Campbell. Can we welcome him father. I pray for Paul Lord. I pray God that your word would be in his mouth father yes, that you would take the learning Lord that he's received and apply it to kingdom principles God that we would learn that we would be able to glean from his experience and your word in our lives Father. in Jesus name to bring the word of life in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning everybody. Praise God. You know, I've really enjoyed this series that we've been going through, Out of the Box, and it's really challenged my thinking. I don't know about you guys. you guys been encouraged by it so far? A lot of times when we have a series like this, um, when I was at Edelman, for example, we had people come through who were, say, teachers, and they would say, well, if you're not teaching, then you're not doing God's will. And then we would have evangelists come through, and they'd say, well, if you're not evangelizing, then you're not doing God's will. And by the end of all these speakers, you're like, God, what is your will for my life? And you would think that that would actually give you uh, something to move forward, but actually it keeps people back because they're unsure of what they should be doing, and therefore they do nothing. So I've been wrestling with this for a long time, and God really began to stir something in me to simplify it, to seek God's kingdom. And this whole thing is about seeking God's kingdom in every moment. And today we're going to go through, uh, what that looks like on a day-to-day life, specifically in a marketplace. Now, I'm not saying if you're not in a marketplace, you're not doing God's will. I have to tell you that to begin with so that way you understand. My hope and prayer today is that you come away with the understanding that it's important for us to seek God's kingdom. Amen? Out of the box. You guys been getting out of the box? You getting a little uncomfortable? No? You guys don't seem very uncomfortable. Let's, let's do something with that. So we got the kingdom culture we've been talking about recently, and we've talked about education, religion, um, arts and entertainment, family and kinship, and today we're talking about marketplace. So the marketplace has been, something that most of us will have to encounter in our lifetime if we you know want to eat, so I guess it's important. So today we're going to talk about how to do that, and what we're going to talk about is what does God think about work? Seeking a kingdom in the marketplace. Workplace evangelism. I really love that one. Uh, And then we have a call to action. Because I don't believe that just talking is is good enough. We have to do something. We have to move this thing forward. Because really, in the church, we have enough knowledge to to teach around the world. And they would love just to have just 10% of our knowledge base to be able to minister effectively. I think we got to a place in our lives... We get so much that because it causes us stagnation. Does that make sense? Before I start into the topic, I'm gonna to share with you a few points. Consider what others say. Most Christians spend the majority of their time at work and often have their most significant relationships with pre-Christians at work. Rather than call Christians that's up there. rather than call Christians out of their work setting to do ministry, affirm them, encourage them, and equip them for effective ministry in their work-life setting. Wooddale Church, um, former pastor Leith Anderson, which, by the way, I had a chance to, to sell him a phone while I used to work for AT&T. was quite the experience. He was like, We're the Andersons? I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, okay, got you. I know who you are now. Uh, second, Billy Graham said this. I believe that the next great move of God is going to be through the believers in the marketplace. I believe that the next great move of God is going to be through the marketplace. That resonated with me when I heard that. Because I'm like, God, it doesn't make sense to me why we spend most of our life in the marketplace and then, Lord willing, if we make it to, to retirement, now we do God's will? Now we start speaking the word of God? It makes no sense. To me, at least. Next one here. Someone recently said, uh, that the first Reformation took the word of God to the common man and woman. The second Reformation is taking the work of God to the common man and woman. That, is a, that time is now. The greatest potential ministry in the world today is in the marketplace. Christ's greatest labor force is those men and women already in the environment. So, key verse here. We've talked about this so far. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And then, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and th- all things will be given unto you. James, if you can come up where James is at. Okay. I want to demonstrate to you what seeking the kingdom of God first looks like, and then what God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, James is the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm just me. Okay. All right, we're going here. All right, I see that. Okay, where where else we go? This way? Oh, no, about here. Talk to somebody, okay. Jesus loves you, okay. Go over here. And now what we're doing? Okay. Oh, no, 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 not yet, not yet. He's not ready, he's not ready. Okay? Okay. Hi, I married you. All right, thank you, James. I want that image to stick in your mind. See, we complicate things. We, we, we try to figure things out, we, and I want to simplify this for you. If you are not seeking God's kingdom, then you're not being effective. You can, have all, you can read all the books you want and, and do a lot of scripture reading and praise God, I got another scripture memorized. But what are you doing with that? How are you moving that forward? How is that applicable? If I'm seeking God first, I'm not trying to win the whole world, am I? I'm in the moment. There is somebody that I'm talking to today that needs a word to God today. We're going to talk about that. What it's like to seek God's kingdom in every moment? What it's like to look for what God's doing? Because God is always working. You know that? God is always working. I believe that if we start to ask that question daily, it will take some of our stress away. Here's an interesting fact. See, got here. Working women and men spend 45% 45 to 70% of their time uh, working out, waking hours in work-related activities outside the walls of church. So if we graph that out here, I like this graph. So look, we have 47% at work. We have, actually this is interesting, 11% watching television, and down here 12% family. I think that's a little off balance, don't you think? <laughs> but that's what people do. So if this is a majority of our life, and when we bowed our our head and said, Lord, become Lord of my life, doesn't it make sense that this is important to him? That he wants to use our work to, to glorify him? Amen. Consider focus on scripture. Work in its different forms is mentioned more than 800 times in the Bible this is more this is more than all the words used to express worship music praise and singing combined work is worship seventy five percent of the heroes are employed in the marketplace and much of the bible's teaching is in the work, is work, workplace centered of Jesus' 100, 132 public appearances in the new testament 122 were in the marketplace you guys starting to see a theme here? This is important to God. Of the 52 parables Jesus told, 45 had a marketplace context. Of the 40 divine interventions recorded in Acts 39, sorry, no, 30, sorry and record, of the 40 divine interventions recorded in Acts 39, were in a marketplace setting. Jesus spent 90% of his life in small business. Jesus called 12 disciples individually, not clergy, to build his church. Isn't that interesting? All the people that he called were already doing something. They were in their, their, their workplace setting. Jesus thought to talk about business so much that even he himself was in a small business. Now, I'm not saying if you're don't if you not a small business owner, you're not doing God's will. I, I want to state that again. My purpose of, of telling you this, this is where we spend most of our life. This is why I think God is a practical God. Most of Jesus' miracles, if you think about it, were practical miracles. People were hungry, so what did he do? Yeah. They were sick, so what did he do? Why we work? God first work. Genesis 1.1. If God worked, that must mean I have to do something. Man was created to work. See, a lot of people get caught up in, this, in the Garden of Eden when, the, when they fell and they sinned. They said oh, the, the ground was cursed. So everybody assumes, oh, I just got to gotta bear this burden of working in this environment. And then one day, I'll be able to do God's will. But I have to, I have to work to the ground as hard. But before they were, the ground was cursed, they still were working the garden. They were. God never cursed work. He's always working in our lives. Always. For our good. I'm going to have to look up this here. So God is pleased with his work. So I think this is important. A lot of times people never ask the question, what should I do with the gifts that I have? They they kind of do this work here and then I get to go to church. I'm just going I'm gonna actually shortchange the quality of work. I think we need to focus on the first testimony, which is to do good work. If you're not doing good work and you're trying to witness to your friends, what are they gonna think? I want to be a Christian so I can slack off. I wanna be a Christian so I can justify why I have to leave here early. No. We have to do quality work. I believe. If we really thought that God was watching us, like we say we do, and if we really did have our work as unto the Lord, like we say we do, we would have the most amazing innovations, the best thoughts. People would come to us because we have inside of us Christ, the hope of glory, and the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. All creativity comes from God. And why, then, do we allow other people to to fill that role? Because God still wants to bring this creativity to the marketplace. And we just have people who are not willing to put forth the work and effort. Amen? We remain in God's image and like us to do work. I'm going to skip through some of this for time's sake. God gives us the right to work and to use the fruit. Sorry. God gives us the, the right to use the fruit of our labor. This is called profits. Now, some people will think, assume if, you're, if you've been around prosperity doctrine, that I'm talking about prosperity. I'm not saying that. But if you think about it, even when we talk about sowing and reaping, do we ever get less by sowing, or do we get more? Isn't that multiplied? So if we're working hard and then we get blessed, are we going to then say, oh, no, I, God wants to be miserable. He's a, he doesn't want me to have this blessing. No, God wants you to prosper, but not just prosper in finances, because you don't see that there's also bad fruit. Bad fruit's not good. That's the fruit we should stay away from. So I just wanted to draw this distinction between that. Why we exist. We all have the same eternal purpose. I alluded to this earlier. So a lot of people get caught up on, God, what am I supposed to do? I've seen this a lot in college, especially Bible college, because you're more spiritual, right? Oh, glory be to God, brother, I just, I feel God leading me to this. And then you're saying, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing yet. How come God's speaking to that person, but He's not talking to me? I don't know. Awkward. So, <laughs> for God granted him all authority over people, that He might give eternal life to all those who have, who, all those you have given. Now this is eternal life, that we may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. John, uh, seventeen, three. 17, 2, and 3. To know, love, and serve God is why we're here. That's our eternal purpose. So the question now is, what do we do? I want to talk about this for a minute. So I could basically tell you guys all right now. I know your purpose. And some of you look, like, well, how could you do that? Well, the Bible already says. Well, we had the Great Commission. What, what did Christ say? Go ye, I'm speaking King James now, to all the world, preach the gospel and what? Make converts. Make disciples. Go into all the world. So that's pretty pretty simplified. If we know that's our purpose, and our purpose is to know, love, and serve Christ, we're simplifying it now. So what does that mean? If I have a gift to teach, and God has equipped me with that, I know he wants me to go make disciples. I know he wants me to know, love, and serve him. And I also know he wants me to seek first the kingdom of God. So if I have this platform, I understand. I'm to seek God with my talents and my abilities. The question is, what are those? And I should tell you, my, my line of work, I, w- I used to work at AT&T Mobility, now I, I work at Becoming Great Enterprises. And what I do in the marketplace is I help people discover their core purpose in life. Now, they're not Christians, but it becomes a, a, a place of ministry. I've, had, I've seen people cry when they realize who God has made them. And it's like a feeling of God, I'm equipping not only your saints, but people who are pre-saints who are going to come to know your love. Why do you care so much, Paul? Why are you doing this? Because I care about you, that you would have a fulfilling life. And then the question, they could tell something's different, because this is a God-given gift. The Holy Spirit uses the gifts that he's given me, word of knowledge, wisdom, to see into these people. So I'm, I'm actively using my gifts in the marketplace. And so what happens is they're like, how do you know that? Some places I can't say well, Jesus Christ told me, but some places I can't where it's a small company. I've talked to CEOs and executives, and I've seen people cry with this. And so it's a powerful thing when you know what your purpose is, and that leads, because that's the first conversation they may ever have, even though I may have not said Jesus Christ's name yet. You know, but that's a, that's a first year. So, All right, so we have this right here. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared for us in advance to do. Prepared for us in advance to do. To me, when I read that scripture at first, I'm like, Okay, God, what work have you prepared for me in advance to do? I wrestled for many years. God, I have this passion for business, and I have this passion for ministry, and I'm told I can't do both. I'm told they don't mix with each other. I'm told that all are called, but few are chosen, brother. And you have a fivefold anointing on your life, so you don't you shouldn't be involved in business. Leave that that secular stuff to the people that need to do that. But you're supposed to be doing this. And it never really made sense to me. God, if you called me to be holistically serving you, doesn't it make sense that everything I do brings you praise? And everything I do brings you glory? So how then am I supposed to wrestle with this, where where I'm not supposed to be out in the the marketplace? When I see you were out in the marketplace, you were out there touching people's lives. You weren't in the pews. You were doing something. Christ, to be Christians, to be Christ-like, to do Christ's work. what he prepared for us in advance to do? God's put a talent and ability in each and every one of you. And the problem is we're so busy comparing ourselves to everyone around us. The the classic example I give to people when I I speak to them in in like JA or different places like that, I say, take Kobe Bryant. You guys know who Kobe Bryant is? Very athletic, God-given talent. Now, if you put me on a basketball court, I'm going to try to box out. All right, Kobe, I got you. I got you. What is he going to do? He's probably going to jump over my head and dunk the ball, (laughs) right? Because that's a gift that God's given him. But Kobe doesn't just stop there. He actually works hard at that gift. He perfects that gift. He utilizes that gift to the best of his ability. Now, I don't know where his walk with Christ is, but you can see that principle still applied. If you start to see a talent, use that talent and say, God, How can you use this ability? Now, come to me. I have a background in music production. I can actually produce a track in five seconds. Or not five seconds, sorry, five minutes. Now, that ability has God given me. The question is, what do I do with that? Now, if you put Kobe Bryant in that same studio, would Kobe be able to make a song in five minutes? Probably not. But Kobe makes significantly more money than I do, right? But does that mean his ability... Is endless valuable? No. Doesn't mean your ability is less valuable. Who has God made you? Moses said, "I can't speak, Lord." God said, "What's in your hand?" Stop worrying about what you're not. Stop focusing on your weaknesses and saying, "Lord, why me? Why me?" God is not going to get you to heaven and say, "Okay, you didn't have, it, you didn't make a million dollars. You didn't name it and claim it enough." He's not going to say that. He just say, "What did you do?" Stuart, of the gifts and abilities that I have placed in you, what did you do to advance the kingdom of God? Or did you complain? Or did you just stay stagnant because you were so worried about what everyone else had? You guys see the next scripture there? For we all have, um, for we know that all things work together to good for those who love God, who are called to His purposes. Romans 8, 28. Now we know that all things aren't good. Brother Paul, what about the what about those times in life where you just you just feel like you can't go on? Those happen, right? P- people lose loved ones. People have job loss. But God's kingdom is so much bigger than that. See, when you're seeking God's kingdom, there's always a hope. God's always working in your in your favor. Now things not always be good to you or whatever, but God's still working. So what I do in my job, I ask people these questions. What are you really, really good at? think about your life skills. What are you really, really good at? A lot of us have talents and abilities, but uh, we're not supposed to necessarily do them all. We have a lot of giftings, but there's always something that really stands out that's core to who we are. What is our core competence? And what are we really passionate about? I would say that we're all passionate about the kingdom here, right? We're all here today because we want to know, love, and serve Christ. But there's different things we're passionate about. For me, my passion is to help equip people to move towards excellence and faith and work. Excellent work. Excellent faith. Seeking God's kingdom. So applying your core competence, what is the greatest thing that I can do to your passion becomes part of your life's purpose. And we know we all have the eternal purpose. But not all of us are gifted the same way. So now that I I know I have the ability for doing music, I applied myself to that. I worked hard at perfecting that skill to make sure that I can say to God that I did everything I could possibly do with that gift. Now, something you have to understand here, your, your core purpose in life is not your occupation. It's not. Your core purpose in life is so much bigger. Your your, your occupation is, should be an application of that core purpose. So that means that instead of just applying for any job, if you're seeking God's kingdom first, you should say, God, what job should I work that I can bring my best, my talents and abilities, and I can give you glory by me doing great work? Instead, we climb this corporate ladder, and eventually we get to a point, whether or not you have handcuffs that are made of stainless steel or gold, You say, God, I can't do it. I can't leave. I make six figures now. But son, you're miserable. Your marriage is falling apart. You're stressed to the max. I'm here to bring life to you, not sadness. And why we go to that point is because we haven't asked the question, God, who have you made me to be? What job should I work? So after I, I counsel people to go through this process, it becomes clear to them, oh, I shouldn't be in sales because I don't like people. <laughs> okay. For me, I have, I have the worst administrative ability in the world, right? The worst. Uh, ben talked about a couple weeks ago, I heard him speak. He said it takes me an hour to, to write an email and Hannah could write in five minutes. It takes me two days to write an email that Hannah could write in five minutes. That's just how, how it works. But I'm not envious of that. I know that she has that ability. and so the question is, what the things that give you energy, chances are those are the things that God has placed inside you. And sometimes I think we have this almost like this thought process that if it makes me happy, it must not be God. Because God, if God really loves me, he wants to make me miserable so I can stretch out of my comfort zone. I love that. You, brother, you got to stretch out your comfort zone. My comfort zone against Kobe Bryant is so far. <laughs> Lord, please, some, make me a little taller or something. The whole idea of stretching out your comfort zone, there's a place for that. But if you're asking yourself first, God, who have you made me? Why am I good at math? Why am I good at English? Why am I good at these things? And how can I bring you glory? That's the better question. So we know that stretching out your comfort zone doesn't mean I'm playing basketball. It may mean that I'm working a few more hours here. Always asking the question, Lord, what is your purpose? What is your kingdom? The kingdom, the kingdom. I've been thinking about this kingdom thing. We're a part of a kingdom. Something that God showed me the other day, have you ever seen these documents about birds? They they fly, the swarming birds. They go one way, and they go another way. And you find out there's a prey kind of approaching them, trying to get them, pick them off. God showed me that the way the church is growing these days is we're going this way to this church, and we're going that way to that church, but we're not winning souls. We're not winning souls. We call ourselves evangelicals. We're not evangelizing. So part of the thing that God placed in me is teach my people. Teach my people how to live their faith in the marketplace. Why? Because the kingdom of God wants to advance. And that means if you're a teacher, if you're in the media, if you're a janitor. I remember one time um, I was at Elam, and I was cleaning these bricks, and we, just, we put some bricks up, and I was like, God, no one's going to go by this wall and say, Look at those bricks. That is a mighty clean brick. No one's going to say that. But Christ says, Work as unto me. Clean toilets as unto me. Make mergers and business acquisitions as unto me. Do my purpose. Seek my kingdom. And everything else will be added. See, we're stressed out about where this economy is going. I'm not stressed out. I'm not stressed out because I know my hope is in Christ Jesus, and I'm seeking his kingdom. And he's going to lead me to all truth. So the question is, now what? Now that you told me this, Paul, what do I do? I want to show a short video here um, that I thought was hilarious and how people uh, try to evangelize. Because I'm moving now from g- making sure God wants, you know, calling us, understanding who our calling is, now to how do we evangelize. So that's what we're going to do here. I've, I've, I have to admit, I've, I've felt like that sometimes. I'm like, Lord, i got this quoted to me. i got to do this, Lord. I maybe that's funny to me, but I, I think it's hilarious. But anyway, I want to paint a picture for you. So we have a church gathering, and there's a, a convention going on, and we're out in the North X here, or the auditorium, and we see a, a pretty young lady on one side and a, pretty, a handsome young man on another, and you just know that they should be talking to each other because they, they just look right. They should, just, they should be together. So now you take it upon yourself to make things happen because you're always about making things happen. And you go to them and you say, hey, Susie, hey, Bob, I know you don't know each other yet, but you guys need to get married. I mean, this is just a match made in heaven. And I know right now you're looking for a confirmation, but let me just tell you, I've seen it, and this is it. And then you say, in fact, not just get married, let's do this right now. Let's get married right now, because obviously God has called you together, and this is going to be awesome. You guys can do awesome things for the kingdom. They're looking at you like you're crazy. You would never do that. Realistically, you would never do that to a person. But oftentimes with evangelism, that's what we do. We see this Christ, and we see this person, and we say, they got to get together right now. Bam! They need each other. And then it's always this awkward, like, I don't know you. <laughs> you haven't even met my dad yet. I don't know nothing about, why am I going to marry you? Because you think I should? You guys, maybe somebody would do that, but hopefully not here. Um, so my point is this. If you introduce somebody for the first time to Jesus Christ, don't try to seal the deal yourself. Let the Holy Spirit do the romancing. Let the Holy Spirit begin to say, yes, I've called you. You may not be the first person to talk to them. Introduce them. Don't try to marry them. And you'll be amazed what Christ will do. Now, when we think about evangelism, there's a few thoughts people have. Three type of believers in the marketplace. The commando Christian. Whom shall I obey, God or man? I got a witness to people here. This is my calling to witness to people right now. So I'm not going to give a report that's due on Monday to finish. And I'm not going to work with this person and sell it to close the deal because that's not my calling. So then, I love the commando Christian. Then we have the, hi, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to offend nobody. Glory be to God, no one's offended. We're all here. You know, uh, the thing about this kind of believer is that, well, first of all, the first believer just turns people off. The second believer allows things to go on to the point where it becomes too big and they feel overwhelmed and then they give up and say, I can't be in the marketplace, Lord. You must be calling me to ministry because all this things is going on. You got the image there. And then we have what Christ wants us to be, a reproducing disciple maker. Christ's example is the best example, I think. Not my example, but Christ's example. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. They may not be believers yet, but you're still discipling them. And when you do that, you start to form this relationship. We'll see here in a minute some statistics that are pretty remarkable. Everybody assumes that Pastor Jim's job is to do all the evangelism, all the witnessing, all the speaking. He's one man. Oh, but he's got Pastor Ben, so maybe Pastor Ben and Pastor Jim, they can get together, and then they can make things happen, and they can advance the kingdom together. Never underestimate your impact in the communities that you live and work in ever. God's placed you there for a reason. And he's given you a word, whether you know it or not. And he wants to do great work through you because he's compassionate about the people who are dying and going to hell. I've been convicted. Lord, when's the last time I led somebody to Christ in the marketplace setting? When's the last time I had compassion? I had I sat down with uh, Paul Ridgway a couple weeks ago. This gentleman, has been in business for, for a while, and he said to me, Paul, I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere to lead somebody to Christ. Anywhere. And I left that meeting, I'm like, God, would I go anywhere? Would I do anything? And God began to speak to me, what's in your hand? What spheres of influence have I given you? And then he gave me something. Now, we talked about, me and Paul talked about this. Obviously, my name is Paul. So we're Paul, Paul. Yeah, it's funny. So, Paul, what does this look like? And I said, brother, brother," I "I feel like God is calling us to be a, a Matthew 633 believer where I'm seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness. So another question is, how do we do that? So seek God's kingdom in the moment. Be aware that we're at war, okay? One of the greatest tactics that an enemy can do is make you think we're not at war. But let me tell you something. We are. Everywhere you look around you, there's advertisements trying to gain your attention, trying to keep you, um, not keep you focused on the one true thing. So first, see God in a moment. So what does it look like? So I happen to be on a bus, or wherever I'm at, and somebody I see, they're hurting. The Lord's allowing me to see one of my, use one of my gifts in order to, to see a need. So I'm saying, God, what is your purpose in this moment. So I'm seeking, Lord, what's your, what's your work? I'm listening, too, to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Do you guys believe that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit can give you utterance and knowledge that is for the moment for that person? Do you? If Christ is in you and he's speaking to you and he wants to give you a word, we have to slow ourselves down to listen. That's the key point. So if you're going, I can't talk to this person right now. I have to go on to this event. The Vikings are playing this afternoon. And I don't have that recording table thing. Or whatever. So I'm sorry this is not a convenient time. Or better yet, oh, brother, I'll pray for you. Why not do it now? Seek God's kingdom in the moment. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. And then you have to do something. You have to speak with confidence. This is what I see going on. They may not know Christ, but you're seeking God's kingdom. You're listening to what God, the Holy Spirit is saying, and you're speaking what he gives you. And if you're seeking God's kingdom first, how much more effective do you think you'll be? How much more effective do you think you'll be versus, God, this doesn't align with my agenda. When we said, Lord, be Lord of my life, we said, okay, you're Lord of my life. Now my agenda is your agenda. My agenda is your agenda. And I believe that if I'm working 60% of the time away from home, most of my waking hours, they say that you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your spouse. If that's the amount of time that I'm spending away from my wife, who I love dearly, then isn't it important that I'm seeking, I'm listening, I'm speaking what God has to say? I think it is. So there's a a couple of myths that we have going on here. There is a a sacred work, and there's a secular work. Sacred, secular. It goes like this. I am a pastor, Reverend Dr. Paul Andrew Campbell. (laughs) Glory to God. And I have a higher calling because I'm called to preach the gospel, Oh, I'm, my name's Scott, and I I clean porter pies for a living. God doesn't care about that work. Oh, but he does. He does. There is no divide between sacred and secular. God views everything that you do as a holistic approach. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in all areas of your life. I do it with my family. Becca could probably tell you, I try to seek God in my marriage as a husband. So sometimes that means, oh, I'm wrong. Okay, most of the time it means I'm wrong. <laughs> but if I'm not seeking God's kingdom, then I won't recognize that. Why? Because I have this idea of what it should look like, what a man and a female relationship lo- should look like in the context of marriage, not saying, God, who have you created me to be? And who, how can I serve my wife? Seeking God's kingdom. It's not sacred. It's not secular. It's at home, but God loves it because it's part of who he made me. Everything Him. sacred to him. Means to an end. I talked about this before. I hear so many people in their 60s saying, I had to work to put food on the table, and therefore I could not do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to, but it just wasn't practical. 30 years, and then I'll do God's work. No. The time is now. God is speaking to you right now. Do my work. Vocational ministers have a, a, a higher calling than I do. We talked about that a little bit already. You know that's not true. Dual morality. I cannot stay competitive in the marketplace if I bring my faith to work. That work is work, and home is home, and I shalt not mix the two together. I hear people tell all the time, "My, my work." I say, "Okay, Paul, how was your how was your evening?" Well, I had this going on. I go home. My wife asks me, "How was your day?" But yeah, we hear people talk about all the time don't bring your home after work. But they just ask me, what's going on at your home? See, this is the same thing that people wrestle with. They, they separate these two. Men, especially. I'm sorry, men, but this is what we do. Um, John D. Rockefeller was, a, was known for making large amounts of money and giving large amounts of money away. But what they don't talk about is how the shrewd business deals that he made, cutting corners, workers' conditions. But yet, he gave a lot to his church. He could justify, he could close the door saying, I am good, God's gonna bless me because I'm doing great things with the money he's given me. But he didn't have those two married together. So, the dual morality thing, let me tell you something. If you stand for Christ, God will always take care of you. If you stand for Christ in the workplace, I heard someone talk about making a, an integrity fund. If they're asking you to do something to compromise your faith in Jesus Christ, you should have an integrity fund in place so you could say, Thanks for the opportunity, but you have caused me to do something now that doesn't affirm the kingdom purposes, and I'm walking away. But right now, they have this handcuff on us because they, they help us, you know, provide. But if you had that, how much more effective would it be? We would be say, no, that's not what I'm doing. This is what, want, this is what God wants me to do. So, dual morality. I remember uh, a story, quick, real quickly, um, I was working at at t one of the iPhone launches. If you've ever been a part of those, this is crazy. I mean, they, long lines, people are mad, and Somebody sold one of the phones that was for another customer, for my customer. My customer came back mad, and my area manager said, well, you should lie to him and tell him that this phone here is actually um, the one that he was supposed to be getting, but it's a defect, so he has to get another phone. And I looked in the eye and said, no. I'm thinking to myself, what would Christ tell me to do? Speak the truth. And I went up to that customer, not knowing if he was going to hit me or not, because he's a big guy. I knew there's a possibility for harm, but I said I will seek God's kingdom first, and I will tell the truth. Now the ironic story is that's down in Baltimore. This man came up as a director of sales. Now, and a situation came up where my integrity was questioned. He said, "Oh no, not Paul, because I know Paul will tell the truth." That's the kind of example when when you're living out your faith in the marketplace, and you're not compromising your morals. Evangelism is an event. It's a common myth. Evangelism is a process. A lot of the time when Christ went to speak about evangelism, it was cultivating a garden. It was making things happen. It was bringing people to a point of decision. It wasn't you have to close the deal, like I said earlier. All right, Bob, Susan, let's get married. Boom. It was allowing the Holy Spirit to do the wooing. Key verse again. one bringing it up again because I want you to, I want to drill this home. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in the lives of my family, my business, my community. What does your kingdom look like in these areas? And seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I'm seeking him first, all things will be added. Reframing the church for action. Here's a thought. Sunday churchgoers become Monday missionaries. We talked about earlier how Luther was saying we should equip the body of Christ to actually do the work from day to day. So Sundays churchgoers become Monday's missionaries. Workplace missionaries are self-supporting. We talk about missions today, which is very important. But a workplace missionary needs no support. They already have it. They're working. So they have a sphere of influence they can reach. The, truth, the true scope of the influence of church is not Sunday attendance, but the sum total of the congregation's relationships, which most which most have uh, 20 colleagues they know. Consider the scope of a church that has an a attendance of 100 people. A 1,000 adults influenced by Christ in the church on Sunday go out into the marketplace and have the capacity to reach 20,000 people. The marketplace is one of the largest unreached people groups around. We focus a lot on the 1040, and that's important. And I believe that God has called people to do the missionary work overseas. And my mom, she goes over every year to Africa to do it. So I'm not saying don't don't worry about over there, worry about here. I'm saying is, you can do it here, right now, and if God's calling you to do it in another country, you already have prepared in advance because you've been doing it in your work today. A call to action. Earlier I talked about this swarming that's going on, you know, we have a we have a uh, people going from one church to another. That is not church growth, my friends. That's not church growth. That's not advancing. That's going from one church to another. You guys all have a right and responsibility, as sons and daughters of Christ, to be salt and light in the marketplace. And it's not always going to be easy. You're going to have to make decisions that could cost you your job. But if you seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, he'll take care of you. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. This is going to be hard. Recognize that each one of us is a calling and a privilege empowered by Christ to witness the purpose of engaging non-Christians we encounter day to day. I talked about seeking, listening, and speaking what God has said in the moment. Understand evangelism process and not an event. Today, if we can have the worship team come up here, I want to send an invitation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's the first invitation that I want to bring. If you want to know God's purposes for your life and how he can bring joy to your life and make you effective at work and at home, I want to get an invitation to come up or right where you're at and pray a prayer with me. Second invitation is, if you've been in the marketplace for a long time and you've been saying, God, I don't belong here, and you haven't seen purpose, but now you're, you're getting some clarity that God actually wants to work where you're at right now, and you want some grace for that, then I want you to stand up so we can pray for you as well. Heavenly Father, I pray right now. Lord, as you've called us and you've formed us and you've made us to be to, to seek after you, Lord, I pray that we would repent for, for not acting, for not listening to what your spirit has said, Lord God. For assuming that you didn't care about the work that we do, Lord God. Lord, I ask for your grace and your anointing to infuse us, Lord God. That we'll be able to speak with boldness in the marketplace. And they would not be able to silence our voice. That there's a lost and dying people out there who need Jesus. And we have the capacity, Lord God, to influence them for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would do the romancing. Lord, that we would say yes to your will and to your purpose, Lord God. That we would just introduce people To Jesus. And that he would do the romancing. Lord God, I pray. That you would equip us as the body of Christ. To walk out our faith. Day to day. Lord God, I thank you. That we are sons and daughters of you. Today. As I mentioned. If you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you want to know him, I'll be here to pray for you today. If you want him to impact your life and call forth the purposes that he's called you to be, then I'll pray with you. If you're here today, and you want to be more effective in the marketplace, and you want to repent, I'll pray for you today as well. If you're here today and you want boldness in the marketplace, I pray for you. So all those things that I said today, if you're here, please come forth. Leaders, if you're here, you want to pray as well. I'd appreciate that. Today should mark a a, a split in your thinking. You matter to God. You matter so much to God that He died for you, that He shed blood for you, that you can actually be a part of the family and that he can empower you to do good works that he's prepared for you in advance to do. Today, I thank you, Lord Jesus. As the worship team sings, think about this name, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, God.
1: Father, it's our prayer this morning. As we receive your word, as we receive your instruction, God, as we receive your heart of worship, that, God, you would prepare us to be a sanctuary for you. Lord, as we meditate on your word, as we meditate on your instruction today, We give you all that we are and all that we have. Thank you, God, for the gifts that you have planted in each and every one of us. Thank you, God, that you have created us the way that you have created us, that we are different from one another, but that in our differences, God, you have called us to unity. I pray that your spirit would fall on this body this morning, that you would create us to be a sanctuary for you that you would set us apart for your purposes, that we would be pure and holy before you, that you would give us ears to hear you, God, eyes to see you, a heart to receive you, Lord. God, give us great wisdom and understanding. Use us, Father. It's our prayer that you would use us, Father, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. Thank you, God. Father, you call us to be a blessing. God, you call us to be a blessing and you call us to bless. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would equip your sons and daughters in this house. That you would equip us, Father. That you would give us all that we need to accomplish the task that you have set before us. God, that we would be light in the darkness. God, that we would speak the truth. God, that we would be bold before you and before your people. But above all, Lord, we just pray for your love. For a deeper revelation of your love in our lives that we would pour out, God, an intimate relationship with you where we would be a reflection of your grace, Father. We would be a reflection of your love. Thank you, God, that you are with us and that you encourage us and that you give us the words to speak. Thank you, God, for my brothers and sisters here this morning. And I pray for your mighty anointing to fall in this house with all that we need to accomplish the task that you have set before us. Thank you, God.